Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. I would say that allyship is when someone with privilege and power uses both to support and advance the career trajectory of those with lesser privilege and power. In other words, they help marginalize people. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm joined today by Fletcher Senior Strategist and PR Practitioner extraordinaire, Mary Beth West. Mary Beth West, welcome back from summer hiatus. I know we have been on a summer hiatus a little bit, uh, but it's been nice to take a bit of a well-deserved break. I've been doing a lot of traveling, been uh, going overseas a bit, and uh, we have a fun trip to London coming up, don't we, Kelly? Yes, we do. And I mentioned it on our last podcast, We, Mary Beth and I were both very honored to have been um, selected and invited to become fellows of PRCA, the Public Relations Communications Association. It's based in London. It's the largest worldwide trade organization for communication professionals. And uh, they came to the U.S. about three years ago. We've been uh, very interested and vital, I think, in helping them uh, with their U.S. presence and getting the word out that Americans can certainly join PRCA. We have found it to be transformational for professional development, for the connections that we've made internationally, and the relationships that we've been able to forge. So anyway, we're so honored we get to go to this induction luncheon at the House of Lords in Parliament. So it was funny the other day, I told my mom, I said, you know, mom, I, I I can't imagine that anybody would believe a, a text like this, but Mary Beth, you know, you and I were discussing hosiery. Yes. <laughs> and whether or not to wear it. This is it the any, fashion question of the yes, uh, of the visit. It was. And it was so <laughs> it's apparently, you know, women in London still wear hosiery and we go bare legged in the US more. And so I actually asked my friend who's a stylist and she goes, No, you can go bare legged. And then Mary Beth was like, I'm not sure. And so we then we agreed we were just gonna go bare legged. We're like, we're, we're American. We could just do what we want. And then I'm <laughs> the ugly down the Americans road. strike again. <laughs> <laughs> the tacky American. And so I texted Mary Beth, I'm driving down the road and I said, Hey, do you think we should just break down and get hosiery so we don't embarrass <laughs> ourselves at the House of Lords? <laughs> And my so mom this was is, like, yeah. she's this like, this is the level of our conversations no, right this now. This is the level of our conversation. It was just so funny. But anyway, um, we're glad to be back on track with our misinterpreted podcast being released every other Wednesday. Um, we hope you'll share it. This is a, a place for communicators from all over the world to come together and discuss important topics and to be hopefully motivated, inspired. And we love to dispel myths here on Misinterpreted. So Mary Beth, I'll let you do the honors of introducing our distinguished guest for today. 
Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things about uh, so many of the organizations that we try to be a part of, Kelly, is um, including this idea of allyship and of being an advocate for not only the organizations that we represent from a public relations standpoint, but also a lot of the larger purpose and cause driven efforts that they try to do. And we, you know, we try to do that, too, for our colleagues across the spectrum of society who are either part of the PR industry want to be part of the PR industry. And of course, diversity and inclusion has been um, such a, a massive part of our industry conversation for decades now, but that has crescendoed clearly in recent years. And it's been terrific for us to be part of that conversation and um, helping to lead it with a lot of guests who are experts in that arena. And so it is for that reason that we are particularly interested and excited to have an expert from the Northeastern United States out of the tri-state area of the New York chapter of the Public Relations Society of America. Sharon Finster is a former president of the New York City chapter of PRSA, and she has really made a name for herself in how she has been an ally for uh, members of our industry who want to have a larger seat at the table more of a voice in the industry and just, you know, fairness across the board and how employment and workforce and workplace issues are dealt with. Just to give a little bit of background on Sharon, she put out a challenge to the PR industry in 2018 while she, she was serving as president of the NYC chapter of PRSA. And she was advocating for greater diversity, equity, and inclusion in the PR world. And this included a controversial stance at that time calling for the release of diversity data among various organizations, uh, not only industry associations, but of course, private companies, the agency world, et cetera. And as a public relations expert, Sharon has managed the reputations of industry leaders such as Motorola, Microsoft, Samsung, Sharp Electronics, MSNBC, GE, Honeywell, and I mean, the list goes on. So today, Sharon is considered an expert in DEI. In fact, um, one of the things we're going to be talking today about is the fact that she is certified in diversity and inclusion by Cornell University. And she has served as a guest lecturer on the subject at the Johns Hopkins University. So in, in addition to that, her articles on DEI have appeared in PR industry publications like PR Week and PR News. So you can definitely you know, see over the years a lot of her insights that she has shared there. And currently, she offers an amazing support and training vehicle, get this, to help men during their allyship journey. So... And I've seen in really in social media, in particular LinkedIn, she has had so much positive and affirming advice to share with men and helping them become stronger allies for women and, you know, all different types of colleagues who are seeking to have successful careers. She has uh, also provided training for communicators in areas such as active listening. So, um, you know, as we have this conversation today, we're really going to unlock what all of this means and what it all of members of our profession stand to gain by thinking about allyship in a purposeful way. So I'm really excited to welcome Sharon to the table here. Sharon, hello. Well, hi, and I'm so excited to be here and so happy to be joining you here 
on this wonderful day. And I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about today, my favorite subjects. <laughs> well, and I'm humbled because after hearing that list of companies that you've worked with, I'm like, wow, we have a superstar here. And I'm just curious, uh, tell us about your career in public relations and business ownership and how you got there to where to where you are today. Well, I'd love to. You know, my career in public relations actually started on the corporate side. And I was working for a leading consumer electronics company. And I started there as an advertising manager. But eventually I was promoted to director of advertising and public relations. And, and actually this happened thanks to a wonderful male ally that I had, who was at that time the company's executive VP of sales and marketing. Now at that time, the company had a relationship with a very well-known PR firm, Howard J. Rubenstein. I know you know who they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And working with them gave me a bird's eye view into agency life and really motivated me to want to leave the corporate side and go to work for a small PR agency. Because working on the corporate side, when you work in PR and advertising, nobody knows what you do. Nobody no, understands what you do. They pay you every week, thank God. But you never really know what's going to happen because no one knows what you do. <laughs> so it's kind of frustrating. You know, you can't complain yes. to anybody. You can't bitch and moan. I mean, it's like, why am I here? So anyway, all kidding aside, I really had had it with the corporate life. And when I saw that working in a PR agency, people might really get what I do and appreciate it. I said, guys, I'm out of here. I decided to look at that time I was working in New Jersey and I said, oh my God, I'm going to get a job in Manhattan. So I went to work for, I got a job in a PR agency, a small PR agency in Manhattan. And there I had the good fortune to get put on the Motorola business, which is a choice account. Yes. Now, you know, working on the corporate side is very different than working on the agency side. When you're on the corporate side, you have the agency people to do things for you. But once you're on the agency side, guess what? You got to do it yourself. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Who knew? Oh, my God. What a shock, right? <laughs> right. So, um, so after, so there I was uh, shedding my corporate cape and putting on the agency blouse. And I almost really didn't last there. I almost lost the job, really, because I was so befuddled by what I had to do. But what happened was that my perfectionist uh, gene came through for me, and I studied and worked really hard. And guess what happened? In six months, I was the agency superstar in media relations and Motorola was all over the planet talking about all of their great cell phones. And so from there, I got more confidence and I went to other agencies. But you know what I found? I found sadly that, well, first of all, agency life was great. I did love it. But what I found that was kind of sad was that there was very little tolerance for people who are from underrepresented groups. And that includes, you know, people of color, underrepresented groups like people with disabilities. And it was a drag. And so anyway, eventually what happened was I said, hmm, I don't belong here. 
And so I started my own business. And that's how I got into my own business. I love your story, Sharon. It reminds me a lot of mine. I was on the corporate side and felt unseen, unheard, didn't have a seat at the table and started my own firm as a single mom. And so I could create the the reality of what I wanted it to be. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. And I'm so impressed by that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I am too. And um, I, I think that in so much of the social media posting that you've done over the past couple of years, Sharon, it's given me an opportunity to know you better. Um, I think that in, in so many respects, you've been an ally to me and to you know some of the, so many of the values in our profession that I think we both share about honesty and you know integrity and being you know always putting out truthful information. Whenever I've I've you know, tr- you know, tried to make those kinds of cases. You've been very helpful in uh, in, in providing advice and how best to do that. And you've just been a, a wonderful ally to me. And so I think that's why so much so much of your messaging in recent years has resonated with me. And a, a big part of why we wanted to have you on the podcast today. And it, of course, with misinterpreted, our podcast, as Kelly mentioned earlier, is all about dispelling myths and mythologies about PR or about different concepts in the business world. And, um, you know, one of the things that we always want to dispel also are, um, you know, ideas that are, st- you know, stereotypical views of things. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I would like for you to help define for us is just this uh, definition of allyship and what it means to really be an ally. Are there ways that people can misinterpret that term or what the purpose or the agenda is behind it? So I'm uh, hoping we can kick, our, kick off our discussion today by you telling us your definition of allyship. And you've written so extensively about that. What? How would you precisely define that yourself? I would say that allyship is when someone with privilege and power uses both to support and advance the career trajectory of those with lesser privilege and power. In other words, they help marginalize people. So allies do things like they develop empathy for those marginalized folks, and they listen and ask questions to find out how they can be better allies. They apologize in the face of their microaggressions, and they seek systemic change in the organization. They're agents of change and advocates. They are constantly reading and studying about how to be a better ally, and really important, they're comfortable with being uncomfortable as they improve their self-awareness and they do this on an ongoing basis and they are both sponsors and mentors. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. We were fascinated to learn too about the certificate program in diversity and inclusion at Cornell, which Sharon, Mm -hmm. you completed a few years ago. Please tell us about that particular experience at Cornell and what motivated you to pursue that credential and how it's kind of evolved your passion on this topic at the same time. Well, first of all, I just want to say that my experience at Cornell was amazing. It was, it, it really, really did a lot for me as an individual and as a professional. But 
don't forget that when I walked in there, I had done a lot of work on myself beforehand as it relates to racism and social justice. So I arrived with a certain body of knowledge already, but Cornell gave me the tools I needed to take the next steps forward in gender equity and also in anti-discrimination work in general. And also I learned so much of what a human resource professional learns about employee engagement, company culture, and, and a whole host of tools and techniques to prepare me to step into the role of being a diversity and inclusion professional. You know, but the trick is not to stop there because diversity and inclusion is an ongoing journey of learning and growing, and it's growing about yourself and about others. Now, really, Cornell, I wouldn't say Cornell fueled my passion for diversity and inclusion, but what it did was it gave me tools to take it further, and it gave me the ability to, you know, have more credibility. I mean, you know, the idea of being certified by Cornell University is, is you know, I feel it's a prestigious thing to have. So I felt that it gave me more credibility. And so it was just, it was just a great experience, very helpful, learned a lot, would highly recommend it to anybody who was interested in taking their, uh, you know, their diversity and inclusion credentials further. So Sharon, I'm curious if there was something in your life, like a watershed moment or some personal experience that you had that has made you so passionate and about diversity and inclusion? You know, it's interesting because um, I have always been an advocate for the underdog, so to speak. And part of that comes from being an underdog myself. I mean, very early in my life, I was grossly overweight to the tune of like 100 pounds. I lost 100 pounds. But before that, I was, you know, you know how kids are. They like tease each other and they can be pretty brutal. And so that gave me a lot of empathy for people who were, like I said, underdogs, so to speak. And I remember early on when I went to summer camp, there was another little girl there who was a, a person of color. She was a black girl and we got along famously. But what happened was that the other kids there made fun of her and I stood up for her and that set me on that path. It grounded me in that feeling of standing up for somebody who was, again, to use that word, an underdog. And that, and that grounded me and I've just been going ever since doing that. And whenever I'm in a room and you know someone says something that is unfair, to a group, a marginalized group, or anybody really, you can bet that I'm going to say something. I'm not going to let it go unsaid. And I would go further that when you don't say something, I believe that you're being complicit. Not okay. So well said. I mean, I, I love that coming from a just a childhood experience that you had, and that just sort of set the stage for this lifelong journey that you've obviously had about um, having a personal value system around, for lack of a better term, just doing the right thing. 
I just love that. Let's talk about men and allyship versus women and allyship, because we'd really love to get into some of the sort of a little bit of the gender nuance there. Um, I think that all of us have a role to play regardless of our gender, clearly, but it seems that a certain awareness and approach may differentiate the male allyship journey versus the female allyship journey. So what are your thoughts on that, Sharon? We all have certain advantages, but if you take a look at the leadership, let's take a look at the leadership in the public relations industry. I mean, I don't think anybody is going to give you an argument that women still have not reached the level of leadership that they should have based on their numbers in the industry. They're about 70% or more percent of the industry, and yet their leadership level is nowhere near that. So what that means is that men have a certain level of privilege. Now, it's called male privilege. And... What it means is that it doesn't mean that a man hasn't worked very, very hard to get where he is in in the world. It's not to say anything like that. But the difference is that with men, men have a tailwind, so to speak, at their back that propels them forward that women don't have because of all the preconceived notions and all the old values that still exist in the workplace today. When men approach allyship as something that they feel they, sh- they want to do, one of the things that they need to confront is their male privilege. Because if, if, there's a list of male privileges, and, it's, and there's over 50 male privileges that men have in the, in the workplace. That's a long list. I want to read that list. <laughs> yes. We need, yeah, I'll, I'll we need to get that. Yeah, okay. yeah, we need to post that in the show notes for sure. Oh, yeah, I'll yes. be happy to send it to you. It's it's a very long list of, of privileges that they have. They need to, I, I'm going to use the word confront. I'm not crazy about that word, but they need to acknowledge and accept the fact that they do indeed have this privilege. Once they're able to do that, then there's things that they need to work on. They, the men. Men need to usually work on their listening skills. Men are, are often, uh, you know, great at, at putting their opinions out, saying what they think, but sometimes not so great at listening. And listen, we could, I mean, we could all be better listeners. I work on my listening skills all the time. But it is something that, that, um, that male allies do need to work on, to be active listeners. Another thing that they, that, they, um, that they need to work on is empathy. Now, that's something, again, that we all need to work on. But, um, you know, it's, it's being able to put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're listening to, to be able to listen to them and really get a visceral understanding of where they're coming from and what their experiences are. And parenthetically, all of these things that I'm talking to you about, go hand in hand with what's called authentic leadership or heart-centered leadership. And this is something that is really in demand in today's workforce. I mean, the world is craving authentic leadership. Think about the ravages of COVID and how it affected so many people in the workforce, how it created mental anguish for so many people, and how important it is for authentic leaders to be leading the charge in business today. 
And of course, that's in public relations too. So men need to work on empathy, listening skills, being authentic leaders by doing this. Very important when, when they get feedback from a female colleague, they need to believe what she's saying. You know, just because you've never heard something before doesn't mean that that person is wrong. You need to put aside your judgment and listen and believe. So those are just a few things. You know, there's a very, I mean, you know, I teach this thing. It's, there's lots of things for them to learn. But those are the highlights. I've always said that um, the reason we haven't had any real political power as women is because we don't come together like men in some regards. And men will, <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, this using this figuratively, but we'll lie, steal, and cheat for each other while women will just compete and n- not be as supportive. I, I have seen that change over the past 25 years of my career. I felt like it was much more prevalent in my early on agency jobs, that everything was a competition among women, you know, even down to what you were wearing. And I am seeing more allyship, and I certainly hope that culture continues to flourish and grow, because if we do come together at the same level, men come together and support each other, you know, we'll rule the world. And we need more female leaders in the world in general. Well, you know, there's there's a lot to that. There's something else to consider, too. In my opinion, I feel like I totally agree with you about, you know, women coming together and that whole issue of competition rearing its ugly head again and again and again, and women getting comfortable and secure enough to not put themselves in that position. But a lot of that um, comes from men in the workplace, really. And we don't realize it on an unconscious level, but like, for example, have you ever had this happen where you're you're talking with a group of women in the office? You know, you're you're maybe you're standing in a small circle and a man comes over and says, "Oh, what are you ladies gossiping about?" Yeah. Yeah. Oh right? yeah. Right? You heard that, right? Yeah. Well, you know, they are imposing a persona on us that we never asked for. You inhale that as a woman and take that on. So we don't, I don't feel like women have to take total culpability for that, that competitive nature. I think that men sometimes put us in that position, not on purpose, you know, not like, oh, they're the big bad men and look at what they do. These, many of these things are unconscious. You know, there's a word that I'm sure you've heard, microaggressions. And many of these things are unconscious acts that, that go on. But I do agree with you. It would really be great. And it is great when women really stand up for each other and support each other. And I'll tell you, it's something that I had to come into myself. You know, I did feel that competitive thing going on. And I had to train myself not to do that. And it took work. I'm still working on it. (laughs) Mary Beth and I were technically competitors. Um, She owned a firm and when she decided that she didn't want, she wanted to take some time and be with her family more. And she called me on a 
one Friday night in December, and I'll never forget it because we were definitely friends. And she had actually hired me to do freelance work when I first started my company. But, you know, we were in the same, a lot of the same rooms competing for the same business, but we always respected each other. And so when she decided that she wanted to sell her firm, she called me and I just answered the phone and said, oh my gosh, is everything okay? Because it was like eight o'clock and it was close to Christmas. And she's and she said, well, I've decided to sell my firm and you're the only person that I trust to take it over. And I was so honored. And to me, that's, that is really the definition of allyship right there is that even though we were technically competitors, that we had formed an allyship that wasn't going to come between the possibility of what one day we may create together and what we've created together versus what we were creating separately is, is much more powerful. I so agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really fantastic. I mean, allyship is, is so much, it's so much of a journey. There's so much learning involved and so much about self-awareness, men and women alike. When you go down that allyship path, you can bet that there's going to be a lot of learning about yourself. And if you're open to it, it can be an amazing, amazing journey. And, you know, there are a lot of men who want to be allies, but they don't know how to start. There's so many amazing men out there who really want to help women, and they're just not sure what to do. Well, and that's one of the things that I really like about your comments, Sharon, is that you advocate for this introspection piece of it that, you know, we have to look inwards first before we can really undertake this journey in a way that's going to be meaningful and fruitful, especially if we're going to be trying to coach others or bring others along with us. We do have to look on the inside and really have that, you know, inside looking out perspective. One of the things that you've done in your career is to advocate for disclosure and transparency as part of this journey and in the public relations industry specifically, as I mentioned earlier in the intro for you, that you called back in 2017 for there to be more transparency about diversity data within organizations, whether it's in trade associations or for-profit companies. So I was hoping you might be able to tell us what you think or rather why you think uh, diversity data transparency is so important to this process? And what should companies and organizations disclose along those lines? Well, yes, I mean, I am a strong advocate to this day for the release of diversity data. And, and that's because it prevents companies from hiding, from kidding themselves. And it gives them a clear and irrefutable picture of where they stand on diversity and inclusion. Are they hiring and promoting marginalized groups? Are they paying them fairly and equally? I always say, if you don't know where you are, then how can you know where you're going? So if a company says, oh, you know, we want to be great diversity advocates, if they're not tracking their data to find out who they promoted, where they promoted them, how much they paid them, et cetera, et cetera, how do they know where they're going? They don't. And I always say one more other thing, which is that what gets measured gets done. Otherwise, right. it's all talk. It's all BS. 
Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, I'd like to talk about the threat of retaliation in organizations, particularly in cultures where the management may be toxic. And I think a lot of professionals sometimes have fear of being an ally because they think they may be targeted. And we just had a discussion with a client about this, but it was more of a public retaliation than corporate retaliation and that they'll get negative blowback for being an ally. And Mary Beth experienced this personally when she was pushing to bring to light, asking for data, asking for information from you know, one of our trade organizations. And she suffered through great retaliation and punishment and stripping of accreditations that she had had. Um, and, it, and it wasn't fair. And so how do you think we in PR, should we address or counter this phenomenon of retaliation or fear of retaliation? I would not advise anybody to do anything that they think is going to put them in jeopardy. If you, you know, if, if you feel like you're putting yourself at risk and it's going to be truly harmful to you, then that's not something that I would advise to do. And I would, and I would go inside and check with myself before I was about to do something like that. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't be an advocate and a powerful advocate for injustice. I mean, when I was president of PRSA New York and I advocated for diversity data, do you think people liked me? Not really. There were a lot of people who like, really, I was, I, I was the last person they ever wanted to, to know or, or associate with. They were really, they were angry with me. And I made that decision and that was okay with me. So you have to be congruent inside about how far you're willing to go. That's like a number one starting point. Where am I coming from? What am I willing to do? Because being an advocate takes courage and fortitude. And that's even for a male ally. You know, for men who are male allies, a lot of times you'll get into a situation where like you're in a room with guys and they make a sexist joke before their female colleague walks into the room. They think it's so funny. Like someone will say, oh, you know, she'd be half dated if she wore makeup. Ha ha ha. Not funny. What do you do? You know, I mean, one of the things that we do is we train them about what to say. So, you know, you want to, if you're going to be an advocate, you should get training about what to say and how to say it. Don't just go in, you know, like half cocked and think that you, you know, you can just say anything. It's not a good idea. You'll put yourself in jeopardy and it's not necessary. So get the training, do the reading, do the studying that you need before you step out to do something like that. And we give that training so that people don't get themselves into trouble. You know, they have a good heart. They want to do the right thing. There's a way to do it. And there's a way to do it successfully. However, like I said, you know, I wouldn't. Well, here's another thing, actually, that I want to say, which is that when you're looking at an organization that you want to make changes in, your eyes should stray to the top of the food chain. Because if you're in an organization where you want to make changes, Parties that be at the top do not have buy-in. It's unlikely that real systemic change is going to take place. When it comes to diversity and inclusion, it's really important to get buy-in from the top. So if you're in a position to make those changes at the top, if you can influence the people at the top, that's the direction to go. 
I think those are such great observations and things that we have to consider. I know that when we talk about whistleblowing in various organizations, for it can be things like sexual harassment. It can be, hey, I, I know that some numbers are getting fudged in the financials and we, you know, someone's speaking up to that kind of issue. I'm very sympathetic and empathetic to individuals having a fear of losing their job, for example, uh, because that's, I mean, that kind of economic consequence or just having their reputation tarnished in their industry through whisper campaigns and things like that. Those are things that really impact people's ability to earn a living and to support their families. And I mean, those are always considerations that, Sharon, to your point, I think that people do have to make a really clear assessment about where is that line in the sand that they are willing to, to, you know, to go to or venture toward or across in order to either make their point or to forge change. Uh, you know, during my own journey, about a year and a half ago, I posted on my Twitter feed, and it's pinned at the top, a couple of quotes. One was by Margaret Thatcher, who said that you do not achieve anything without trouble, ever. <laughs> that, that's one quote. <laughs> and then there's the other uh, quote, of course, by um, the late U.S. Representative or Congressman John Lewis, who said, get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Never let anyone, any person, or any force dampen, dim, or diminish your light. And so I do think that we have to consider what is the good trouble we're willing to get into in order to foster systemic change. Because clearly, I mean, as women in business and women in society today, all three of us who are on this podcast right now, we would not be where we are had other women not gone before us in generations prior to you know, to do a lot of the hard work and, you know, do the same kind of hard work we're doing now, too, but just in, in, maybe in different ways, but have, have, you know, forged a path so that we could move forward. I'm the mother of three daughters. Just speaking for myself, I think about, you know, the the world that my my daughters are inheriting and the opportunities that they will have or not have. And so that's, you know, that's informed my own choices. And, you know, I think, Sharon, you've made such a good point about we all have to make our choices and make informed choices about, you know, what we're willing to do along those lines. As we're uh, wrapping up the chat here, I would love to have a just a, a comment from you, Sharon, on other tools and resources that people can tap into to learn more, to really delve into this topic more. Um, I know that you've you know, come across such a, a wealth of good resources, and, and you are now a resource yourself on this, too. So other thoughts along those lines? Well, you know, the work is never done. This is a process that requires ongoing reading and studying and working on yourself. We all have bias. It's only human nature, and it's unavoidable. But one book that I recommend is called Overcoming Bias, Building Authentic Relationship Across Differences by two people, Tiffany Jana and Matthew Freeman. It's an amazing book. It will really open up your eyes. Another book, and this is just about allyship, male allyship, is a book called Good Guys, How to Be a Better Male Ally to the Women You Work With by two men. Brad Johnson and David Smith. And if you want to advance your awareness in the areas of racism, I suggest doing something called the Undoing Racism Workshops from the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. Or you can contact me directly at LinkedIn. 
you know, and, and I'll, I'd be more than happy to give anybody advice about what to read or where to go or what to do. Cause there's, there's so much, there's a wealth of resources out there and it's a long list. Yeah. Well, I just feel so much more enlightened and educated and Sharon, you're a wise woman. And I can tell that you have wisdom that you have intentionally worked to develop. And I hope that I can get to where you are someday. I mean, I strive to work on myself. I think it all kind of comes down to we have to do the hard work within ourselves. And thank you so much for being with us on Misinterpreted today. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And listeners, you can follow Sharon on LinkedIn. And I really strongly encourage you to do that to just gain more from her insights. She posts regularly and connect with her and to have some of those conversations to learn more. You can also follow the Misinterpreted podcast at hashtag Misinterpreted. And you can ask us questions too about different subjects that we have covered on the podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at KD Fletcher and follow our agency at Fletcher PR. And I'm on LinkedIn at Kelly Fletcher and would love to hear from you as well. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.